Hi, I'm Nicola. And I'm Jay Percy. And welcome, welcome to the, the Afro Animist, Animist Podcast. We are two animists and spiritual practitioners exploring the secular through the spiritual, discussing life experiences through a sacred lens. Each week we share our experiences and dive deep into everything in life. From philosophy, metaphysics, abia, occultism, shamanism, culture, healing, nature, animism, the arts, pop culture, conspiracies, psychedelics and witchcraft. Nothing is off the table in these discussions which aim to get to the heart of what it means to be spiritual and Afro-diasporic in an increasingly sterile and authoritarian world. We keep it real whilst exploring the biggest mysteries of our multiverse. Join us holding this space to laugh, cry, debate, build community and tear down oppressive structures. Welcome to season two, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> On the 15th of October, we'll be speaking live at the Magical Women's Conference about Afro-Indigenous practice and the shadow. We'll be doing a deep dive into shadow work and using Afro-Indigenous practice to improve the relationship with the self and external world. Get your tickets at www.magicalwomenconference.com. Look at the show notes for more information and see you there. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Afro Animist podcast, you beautiful, beautiful being of the multiverse. Today you're here with me, Jay Percy, the artist. And me, Nicola. And we have a wonderful guest for you today. Um, so this is my, I did mention him last week, guys. It's my cousin, and I'm very proud to have him on the show. Um, his name is Rory Francis. He is an actor, a writer, and a director. He trained um, on the BA acting program at Guildhall School of Music and Drama, whoop, 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 very proud, where he won <laughs> the Michael Bryant Award and Josephine Hart Prize. Whoop, whoop, whoop. He was diagnosed with clinical depression at age 14 and with type 1 bipolar while at drama school. After graduating, he formed Bear Dance Theatre, an emerging theatre company dedicated to producing work about and from the lesser heard voices of society. Wow, so, it sounds um, like you've just lived so much. And you're so oh, young. I've lived a bit. I'm not as young as I once was. <laughs> By the way, you're not allowed to say anything about age, Rory, because we all know that I'm your big, big cousin. So you need to just <laughs> be careful with what you say about that. Of course, um, of course, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, you have lived. And that's why I'm so happy. I'm literally so happy to have you on. Um, I've Thank been you. like bothering Rory quite a bit, making him speak to me on the phone loads, which I don't know is always I know, fun it's been to torture. Do. <laughs> <laughs> you got to love family like that, the ones who like continually pester you. Hi. I know. Talk to me. I know. <laughs> You're actually quite good at answering the phone, Rory, as well. I'm. I literally never answer the phone. I don't know yeah. how. I feel like you're the only one in our family who knows how to actually answer the phone. Yeah, it feels <laughs> like I'm the only one in our family who knows how to say goodbye without having the conversation carry on for five minutes. Oh, oh that yeah, yeah, Caribbean yeah. thing of the, like, yeah. <laughs> I'm leaving now, and you I'm don't leaving leave now. For an five hour minutes and a half. later, I'm leaving now. Five minutes later, I'm leaving now. <laughs> This is why you have to start saying goodbye. Exactly. You have to start saying goodbye half an hour before you mean it. Or 45 minutes before (laughs) you mean it. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely. Uh, So, Nicola, tell us a bit about why we have brought Rory here today. Okay, well, um, Rory is an actor, like I've just said in your bio. Um, I'm really proud of him, actually. It's only us two in the family, I think, who are actors. Um, obviously 
going to Guildhall, Guildhall is one of the best drama schools in the entire world. Um, and Rory has proven over and over that he is a phenomenal actor. Also, he's a writer, director. Um, and honestly, the reason I really wanted you on today was because, like Jay said, you sounds like you've lived a life. You've lived a life. You have gone into the creative arts, which is... I think a really difficult thing to do and commit to. Um, and it takes a certain kind of person. And just in regards to our connection via the storytelling, like I just wanted you to kind of come on here and share about yourself, share your story. Um, because for, for us right now, I feel like we really just want to have real people telling their real stories about real life. Um, mm. And obviously as we do, we find the, the spiritual connection in all of that. Or I mean, it just, life is, Life is spiritual, isn't it? Life yeah, is um, spiritual. It is just that. So, and Rory, the creative arts is a channeling. It's it's a channeling medium. Like it's very essence. You are mm -hmm. literally pulling down this creativity um, from your life experiences, from the great expanse, and you're, you know, relaying that to humankind. It's such an important thing. The arts, mm -hmm. they really are. Back to you, Nikki. Do you feel <laughs> do you feel the same, Rory? Like you spoke a little bit about I this, do. but like in regards to your acting, yeah. Absolutely. Um I think we were talking about this uh the other day, but the now late actor Anthony Cher mm -hmm. um said he used to view acting as sort of like putting on fake noses and wigs and like just having a wild time and pretending to be someone other than yourself getting away from yourself mm -hmm. but as he grew older and his career developed and he learned a bit more he realized it was about sort of exposing parts of yourself that you didn't know were there um and mm -hmm. being yourself essentially mm. so i think that's sort of what I realized in a roundabout way. I mean, I became an actor initially because, well, my first role was um, <laughs> as Captain Hook in my school play. And I went hard on this thing, man. I went hard. <laughs> I was like studying. <laughs> I did, I did. I went home, studied the Disney film over and over again to get the accent right, to get the mannerisms. And from there, I just completely fell in love with it. Mm. And definitely when I was younger and I was having some struggles mentally, um, the drive was to get away from myself mm -hmm. and get away from feeling the way I was feeling. Um, but then as I grew older, I sort of realized that it's not about that. It's about connection, mm. um, connecting with one another in ways that you can't in the everyday or that are cha that's challenging in the everyday. Mm -hmm. um, because yeah. for me, the theater is a spiritual practice. It's sacred, mm -hmm. you know, um, mm -hmm. And it always has been. I'd say the thing that makes us human <clears throat> is the ability to sort of tell stories and communicate stories. And 
because that creates empathy and empathy is ultimately what makes us you know human oh totally, mm-hmm. totally so totally. yeah that's my viewpoint on things <laughs> and just drop the mic babe seriously <laughs> that's such a i feel like that's such an important uh way to put it and i love that you've actually received that kind of understanding of your art as early on as you have honestly because Ooh. for me it took i always had you know a similar thing where i had that kind of belief system the same as you uh, the arts are super important. Storytelling for me is, you're right, one of the best ways to create empathy and connection, to understand other human beings, to understand yourself. Um, and there's definitely been a struggle on my on my side to kind of always sit in that side of it and not in the side of running away from yourself, you know. Mm. And I, it's it's just, it's an interesting, it's a, yeah, it's a very interesting thing. I really need a new word, man. Like seriously, we're not, someone we're not replacing the word interesting. <laughs> um, if, if you, listener, want to send us a new word that replaces interesting or brilliant or wonderful, like please do. Like you know where our you know where our socials are. Drop something in the comments. <laughs> I feel like the, spon- the sponsor we need is like a word of the day toilet paper sponsor. Like just send us some rolls. <laughs> like <laughs> all right, my darling. So Rory, what what kind of what kind of work do you create because obviously you're a writer and a director as well as an actor like mm. so what kind of thing are you making what kind of thing are you putting out there what's your drive in that so way? i have my own theater company plug time um yeah bear dance uh which formed in november 2019 so brilliant timing nothing oh, bad man. has ever happened we definitely <laughs> didn't have any projects cancelled Everything was great and always will be great forever. I love positivity. <laughs> so you That's, found you this thing in the before times and everything's in gone perfectly. Time, yeah. That is great. In the before times. In the before times. <laughs> oh my God, that is what we have to call it. Uh, the before times. Yeah, it is the before times. Um, and why, did, why yeah. did you create that? So obviously you said about wanting to put on work from like lesser heard voices is that kind of what you do with your company okay absolutely I think that's so crucial and it's what's sort of missing in a lot of the arts at the moment I mean it's coming to the forefront a bit more now but you've still got so far to go you know I I feel like Mm -hmm. the importance of representation is vital yeah because a, to expand that empathy, to just open the door to another person's life experiences so that maybe in the real world you can look at a person and be like, oh, I understand where you're coming from. Mm-hmm. So that's the first reason. The second reason is for those people who haven't seen themselves represented on stage, on screen, whatever. You need to feel an identification with something. Like when I grew up, mm-hmm. I there was there were no mixed race people on TV of black people mm-hmm. really. I mean um it was hey, few and far between. Henry? 
Lenny Henry, the one, the only the one, one. <laughs> once a also year that guy on who comic did relief. The, the children's TV show, I can't remember. The one black presenter. Can't remember his name. Oh, him. Oh, God, yeah, him. That's, wow. Russ, Ryan That's a Pete, Andy? Andy, Andy Peters. Peters. That's yes. all we had. <laughs> yeah. And I, exactly. I think this was, like, especially crucial for me, like, growing up where I grew up, which was in rural Sussex. Uh, mm-hmm. Not a lot of brothers around. Um <laughs> Really? I never would have guessed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I I mean, I'm fairly light-skinned. I'm very light-skinned. And um, yeah. I'm the darkest they'd had. Wow. Like, yeah. it was... Yeah. And, yeah, I faced a lot of... Um, not explicit racism, mm. but the implicit kind, you know, where you're like... Oh, the microaggressions. Can, oh, massive microaggressions. And when I was a mm. teenager... Um, I had a massive afro because why not? Oh yeah, you know? yeah. got it. And, um, awesome with the afro, man. I know, and I miss it a lot. <laughs> but essentially, you know, some people are very entitled and will touch your hair without asking or reduce you to a stereotype mm-hmm. because of the hair you've got. Um. And, yeah, so I want representation of all kinds, really, whether that's through gender or um, disability or race or Mm. anything. I think we just need a more diverse set of stories. I think it's crucial. When we have people on screen, what they're reflecting is these, like, archetypes that are within I guess the public psyche and you need you need these archetypes to be able to help reflect a bit about your own experience you know they may not be exactly the same but there's going to be that form of connection that you're going to be able to get through the archetypes and now in the 21st century where media is the foremost type of like um, programming or propaganda we're going to get through on a daily basis it, it's mm. so important that we have those archetypes in place so people aren't you know feeling othered feeling left out um I think I, I can point to a tv when I was growing up you know I I think I got compared to Hillary Banks all the time and she yeah. was probably um one of the few people I'd look at on television and um see was like anything similar uh, similar to you know me what I looked like but you know quite an airhead character um it's not the best representation um no. it is a specific life experience that is being represented so I guess the, the more of that you you see the more whole and more validated um you do feel in yourself um whether you care to admit it or not because we we do you know, get so involved with what's on television and how it relates to our lives. Mm. 100%. I mean, it's literally, <clears throat> you know, that's where our main conditioning comes from, really, isn't it? What do you think about, Rory? I don't know if you've seen um, the new Miss Marvel on Disney. I haven't seen it yet, no. 
But oh, you should definitely watch it. I'm all for I it. Did love obviously, it. it's like I've read the like comics. Real... Um, oh, is yeah. she in the comics? What is the character's race, Miss Marvel? Um, there so... are a few Miss Marvels <clears throat> over time, aren't there? Yeah, this is where I expose myself as a massive comic book nerd. It's fine. We roll with oh, it. It's the whole family um, worry, don't worry. <laughs> yeah. So this is based on the most recent Miss Marvel, who is Pakistani mm-hmm. Muslim. Um, okay. Whereas the previous Miss Marvel is the current Captain Marvel. Marvel. Oh, okay. Okay. Um. Yeah, so I just found I just found the the fact that they'd made this Miss Marvel as a Pakistani character. Obviously, I haven't read the comics, so I didn't know that they'd like kind of updated the comics. But still, that's new, right? It wasn't like that Miss Marvel was Pakistani when the in the comic written in nineteen sixties. Like, no, yeah, absolutely it's not. not. Absolutely not. <laughs> yeah, but I feel like as a show, and why I feel like you really love it, Rory, obviously because you're a massive Marvel fan, but also because they don't only have a Pakistani girl like running the show they Mm. also talk about you know the reality of like the outfits and shit and how they aren't actually culturally appropriate for a lot of people so she's not going to be wearing Mm. some like skin tight bustier like zooming around with With huge tits huge tits which I fucking respect man but like seriously this is (laughs) I feel like it's really important they also um use a lot of this is it Urdu they speak in Pakistan. Yeah. yeah. So they they you have a lot of Urdu phrases or words. You know, mum is always called mum in Urdu. So it's like, and I feel like, again, that's something you may see like a black person or an Asian person, but you don't really hear the words that they say a lot culturally or at mm-hmm. home. Um, so I really appreciate that about it. And then also it's like the main thing that it's about is the, um, the breaking off of Pakistan and yeah, the India. partition. Yeah, mm. which, like, honestly, I just don't. I just didn't really know anything about. Know I felt really educated it. No. by it. Yeah. yeah, but this is the thing. This this has happened. Like these apartheids have happened over and over and over again across the world, and we only really are aware of the ones that we're you know allowed to be aware of. Like we know what happened in South Africa, <laughs> kind yeah. of thing. Um, but yeah, I feel like there is. You're right, Rory. Like the representation is changing. I mean, I still, still pretty much every audition I get, it will say, we want a Asian, a black person, or like a Latin person. Or I did get one the other day that just said straight out, it just came out with it and just went, we are not going to hire a Caucasian for this role. And it's like, (laughs) we specifically want other. (laughs) Yeah, it used to be that they just used to list all the others, but now they're getting brave and they're just going, no white people. We want, we need diversity. It's you know, it's it's yeah. it's it's a bit mad how it how it goes on actually. To be honest, I think in the industry. Yeah. Um, are you? So you said to me that you were making a piece at the moment, like a multimedia piece. Is that something? Are you doing that? Or yeah, yeah. Um, I'm working on a couple actually. Um, one of which is in the very early stages. Uh, and one of which is currently undergoing some research and development. Um, The one about research and development is about mental health and depression and 
um, how we sort of navigate that journey. Mm-hmm. And the second okay. is uh, about love. Oh and my I, gosh, I literally can't wait. That's all I can say about that. <laughs> it's about love. About love. Okay. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's definitely inspired by the writings of Bell Hooks mm-hmm. um, and her model of love, um, which is something as like an intersectional, positive, active force, okay. as opposed to um you know falling falling in love or like love as a noun love is a verb mm-hmm. so it's a so, doing thing yeah is this so uh, so i would take it that a lot of this inspiration comes from her book all about love which i haven't read so i would love you to kind of explain a bit more about oh, that aspect because when we are I'll, I'll read it as well. Oh, <laughs> but when, when we're talking about love like that, I think it's, again, that's like a, a really important thing to start to kind of acknowledge, I feel like, as an adult, because you've got all these ideas about romantic love and da 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 da, da and that's what you feel like it yeah. is. But actually, especially I feel like if you move into kind of studying spirituality in a different way, you begin to understand that that is the the underlying energy of creation of the universe, right? So it's so it's that yeah. what you're talking about. It isn't the, yeah, you know, being being. I don't even know what the word is, but you guys know what I mean. Smitten with someone. It's not that sort Smitten. of fluffy, um, surface lust. layer. Yeah, in lust. Yeah, I think we see so much in lust. Um, you know, in the media, um, mm-hmm. so rarely do you see these stories where it's in love or understanding that you know, you're tapping into this like divine source of endlessness. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Um, I feel like, I feel like love is still misunderstood um, in a lot of ways, mainly because of the white imperialistic patriarchal society we live in. Um, <laughs> how I mean, how does that version but, of society affect what we know about love um, for you? I mean, I think it affects everything because mm. we we view love through the men- lens of um, our chosen media and of our models that we look up to. Mm. So it starts at home. On the base level, it starts in the family. Mm-hmm. And there's been a lot of focus on the nuclear family recently, as opposed to the extended family or love of community. Mm-hmm. You have mummy and daddy and baby. Mm-hmm. And daddy goes to work and mummy looks after the baby. Or daddy and mummy go to work, but mummy looks after the baby. <laughs> yeah somehow he's married to this octopus lady that can uh, yeah. do everything at once mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. And, and still look pretty while she does it of course yes, of course <laughs> Duh. but it's so artificially done mm. like in nature maybe once upon a time 
we had hunter gatherers and all that shit but in reality you know we have these false patriarchal models of love and roles and gender roles and positions that we have that we are told we have to fulfill and that starts in the media as well so that's mm-hmm. another thing i want to address is the fact that you know we we start life being bombarded by this very specific image of what life should be based on the imperialistic capitalist patriarchal society we live in um mm-hmm. and it doesn't have to be like that like what well, is plain devil's advocate um mm. living under this uh eurocentric christian moral universe surely that's the most divine order of things surely that's what brings um us closer to this state of heaven uh, trigger 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 <laughs> i'm trying not to, <laughs> i'm trying to bite my tongue um no don't, but... don't bite <laughs> I feel like a lot of it is purely because of that Eurocentric worldview. And if mm-hmm. we look back, to, and and when was that introduced? Two thousand years ago. Mm. It's um, more recent than a lot of other things. Mm-hmm. But oh god, I I read this thing recently where it said an article I did not agree with where it said that maybe patriarchy exists because men are just better at what they do. And it's oh, a competency thing. <laughs> and it just made me... <laughs> but, I mean, isn't the last 2,000 years, haven't there only been like, uh, like tens of years of peace or something like that? If that. If that. <laughs> If yeah. fucking that. Wow. Do you not... Uh, I don't know. A bit of me is like, I want to read this article. Another bit of me is like, no, don't actually bring that anywhere near me. Don't read it. So what were don't your thoughts it. on it I've, when I've you read it? I've told you it exists. <laughs> um, <laughs> my, my thoughts were, this is actively harmful. Yeah. This is, this is yeah. toxic. Like, this is something that people are going to read. And because you've used statistics or fancy words they're going to be like oh yeah that's right mm-hmm. um and you basically hoodwink them mm. but i i think it's all tied to this sense of a lack of empathy or lovelessness in the world um yeah because i feel like if you actually did the christian thing of love thy neighbor you'd put yourself in their shoes and you'd understand their perspective and where they're coming from as opposed to projecting your own views of society onto them. Mm-hmm. Um, totally, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, a thousand percent. Can you run for MP, please? <laughs> um. I wouldn't want to lose my soul. <laughs> oh yeah that's true you do have to sell your soul to do that job um no you're completely right babe i totally agree with you um 
I really want to ask you, like, in regards to this, like, about your mental health journey, like, and kind of what's mm. brought you to this place. I feel like, okay, so for me, guys, let me just put this out there to our darling listeners. Rory is seven years younger than me. And actually, as an adult, I haven't had like many conversations on this level with you. So this is like literally blowing my mind at the level of uh, just at how much you've thought. Yeah, and self-awareness. Mm. Um, mm. I feel really like, you know, to be the first man that we've actually had on the podcast as well, it, um, it's just really, really, really uh, important what you're talking about and kind of what your drives are. So I'd love to kind of ask you if you're okay with it about like your mental health journey and what that's been like for you, how that's like affected your choices in regards to what you do now. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Well, um, I've always sort of been a depressed kid you know, um, always thought a bit too deeply, um, well, what people consider a bit too deeply as opposed to what is actually too deeply. But, um, yeah, and I, I think a, a lot of the time during my youth, I was lonely. And I think what exacerbated this loneliness was the fact that I never felt like I measured up or that I was enough. Mm. Not not manly enough, not black enough, not white enough. Um, mm-hmm. n- essentially abnormal. Mm. Yeah. Um, which, as I grew up, got exacerbated when it tipped over into genuine mental illness mm-hmm. um but i suppose i'm trying to think what the question is i've completely lost my train of thought <laughs> oh no just keep just follow your the whatever thought train you're on because i was loving it and basically just saying like how was your journey with your mental health like just tell us a bit about it and also like how that's affected what you do now like your choices mm. and what you do now, what kind of work you create. I think it seeps into everything I do. Um, mm-hmm. Not just on the surface level of I'm making work about mental health. Um, yeah. But also in my reasoning behind things, because essentially I don't want anyone to feel al- as alone as I did when I was a kid. Mm. Oh. Um, and the ways in which you can feel alone are through lack of representation, through lack of accurate representation. Mm -hmm. So if you don't see a model of what you could be in a positive way, you're essentially unmoored, you're lost. Mm -hmm. And I I feel very strongly about not letting people feel unduly lost. To some extent, to being lost is a pos- can be a positive thing. Um, you know, because when you're lost, 
you realise how artificial a lot of these roles we play are. So I used to get really... (laughs) Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I used to get really wound up about um, who am I? You know, that big, big old question. Mm -hmm. Um, Why aren't I myself around certain people? And then eventually I realised that, you know, all of these aspects of myself that I'm showing are still part of me. I don't suddenly stop being myself. I don't leave my body. Um, I don't dissociate most of the time. Um, (laughs) And just cease to be Rory. Like, I'm still me. And, it, and, you know, it helped, like, looking into Jungian psychology and stuff about the mask and the persona and the shadow and the self. And, and also just looking into stories and how they're constructed, like the monomyth, the fool's journey, the hero's journey. Yeah. Um, and also tarot, because tarot is very interesting. Um just so, so, hold that thought for one second. Did my cousin just tell me that he's into tarot? And I don't know. <laughs> I, I'm, yeah. <laughs> yeah I Do you know I bought Auntie Shernet? So he's at my auntie's house right now. I bought Auntie Shernet a tarot deck about a month ago. I don't think she's opened it yet. You go and take it. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> he's already opened do it. <laughs> hey, do, you, do you read? I, I, I haven't. It's just something I'm like interested in but not something I've followed through on as of yet. Although, you know, the space is there too. Um, Yeah, the space is there. But also, like, when it comes to my blackness, which, as as I touched on before, is like... um, it's, it's complicated because of where I grew up and who I associated with traditionally. Um, I always felt a bit of a block there. Okay. Um, In what way? And what really... Hmm? In what way did you feel a block? I, I suppose, again, I just didn't really feel connected to that part of me. Hmm. Which is, and it is a part of me. And I'm partly really ashamed to say it was only quite recently that I became conscious of that. And it was unfortunately the video of the killing of George Floyd that brought that to a head. Mm. And then I was, and then just everything sort of came into focus Mm -hmm. and I do wonder why it took me seeing that video to come to consciousness Mm. but I realized like the microaggressions throughout my life the sense of loneliness was all tied into a lack of acceptance over the many different sides of me including blackness. Mm-hmm. 
So yeah. I'm making a conscious effort at the moment to delve into it a bit more, which is why I've been listening to your lovely podcast. Um, I've been reading a lot of literature and um, just connecting with my family and my roots in a really profound way. Um, yeah. You know, you say it's, why did it take me that long to be able to kind of understand or accept those aspects of me? Why did that video of George Floyd? I mean, babe, if I'm fully honest, that video for me as well brought it into another perspective for me. And mm. obviously we've had quite a different upbringing in the sense of you were brought up in the middle of like the whitest part of the country. And I was brought <laughs> up in Peckham in London. Do you know what I mean? Still mm. receive those, the the microaggressions or the not so microaggression, um, mm. still received racism. Also received racism from the black community a lot. Actually, maybe in, in London, the more overt racism I received was from black people. And the microaggressions were from the institution of the white people, you know? Mm. And I feel like when you're mixed race and like you're saying, it's like the representation isn't there. Even in the space of being mixed race, being something that is different from being black and different from being white or being just what part of one of those communities because you're not, you're something different. So almost everybody will look at you as something different. Everyone will look at you as something is missing or maybe there's too much or, you know, that's that's mm. definitely an experience that I know I've lived. I feel like Jay, you've lived the same. And yeah. when the George Floyd video happened, it almost kind of gave me permission to kind of go, no, 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 no. This is that I'm part of this community. Like, um, mm. and you're and you're right. It kind of there's something that happened in the world with his passing that created such a, a big massive conversation i think it was a mix of everything you know because it is not the first black man in america that's happened to let's like no. by far so it's i, I think mean it, you know it's the mix of p pandemic and that happening everyone at home having to only being able to be with themselves for the first time in their entire lives you know mm. all, all of a sudden created this massive conversation um so i i totally hear you i totally and I actually really respect you for really saying that and being honest with it. Cause I think it can be quite scary. Like when you're mixed race, yeah. I don't know. Um, I find it hard to sometimes be really honest and sit in an identification of my race because I've had so much mm. from different places being told that I'm not, none of those things, you know, mm. it's, it's such an, okay, I'm going to stop saying important. Someone else speak. <laughs> <laughs> I do think it's, um, important um because <laughs> I, th I think people refuse to acknowledge multiplicity mm -hmm. which is a very loaded statement <laughs> but um oh, yeah. i, th I no, think part true. of the but true <laughs> yeah <laughs> i think part of the um i'm trying to f remember imperialist capitalist patriarchal society we live in patriarchal society. is that yes is that we like to put things in boxes and narrow things mm. um mm. when in reality we need to widen our perspectives and acknowledge that you know um there are all these energies within us mm -hmm. so 
like what we call masculine and what we call feminine as opposed to what is actually masculine and feminine because who fucking knows um or what we call blackness and what we call whiteness mm-hmm. or what we call mental illness and what we call mental health mm-hmm. we we contain multitudes like there's so much happening in our own little worlds that we're just not aware of because we've been conditioned to close ourselves off and look inward and be self-obsessed. Whereas I think another thing that empathy would do or empathy does is just widen that perspective and make you realize, you know, there's there's more going on than I'm aware. Yeah. yeah. Exactly that. Exactly that. I mean, with your um I I really love that you've just pulled that up about mental health or mental illness. Now, this is going to be maybe a bit of a controversial section of this podcast because I I do feel like there are other ways to kind of look at these mental illnesses that we have or these mental health issues that we have. Even, yeah, the the way that we, the words that we use to describe those issues. So, yeah, mental illness. Even mental health, the word mental in our society, what does that make you think? It doesn't just make you think about the mind, which is what it just means. It makes you think someone's mental. That's how we use that word. You know, Mm -hmm. so even having that, I feel like, creates a dissociation from the reality of what the actual thing is. I also feel like within our society, like you're saying, Everything needs to fit into a box. We don't fit into boxes. It's just literally, that's the problem in the world <laughs> right now. Everyone mm. trying to squeeze themselves into box or even create new boxes to fit into. You're right. It's about the widening of perspective. And mm. with our um, the state of like our mental health system and our ideas about it, I always feel as somebody who's, yeah, was diagnosed also with depression at, at 13, depression in general is anxiety. Okay, you're a fucked up person, you're 13, now just go off into the world and, and try and figure it out is kind of how that almost felt to me. But I've but I've received this label. So now from that age, I everywhere I go, I am the depressed, anxious person. And it's very difficult to move out of that label. What mm. I mm. have thought about a lot in my life has been like the potential superpower of the mental health issues that you have, you know? So Mm. sometimes, and we spoke again, this we spoke about in our last episode, our last episode was all about rest. You know, sometimes I look at my depression and I I look at when it started and I'm sure Rory that there are certain events that happened like when you were younger that would have maybe sparked off little bits of those changes and forced that loneliness Mm. like you're saying. Um, And I can see that actually maybe my depression isn't a mental health issue. It's actually a safety net or it's a place where I, you know, how can I say it? If society was a bit different, then when I got depressed, I may actually just be allowed to rest and just and be in that space mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. be supported from that space, not be told that I'm sick, not be told that I shouldn't feel that way like whatever just be I may be able to accept that rest space that I'm in because when I'm in my midst of when I'm in 
I call it dropping off the cliff. I don't know if you feel the same way. Like my depression works. It's like I'm walking along a precipice every day of my life. And then one day I fall off the cliff and I'm in the hole. And when I'm in that hole, Mm. it can be, it is, it is a void. It is an absolute void. Now that void can be massively comforting or massively troubling, you know, and that, and I feel like that depends almost kind of how, what I was kind of experiencing in the times before I dropped off the cliff and fell into the hole, you know? So if I'm able to have, to not be down on myself about the fact that I have mental health issues or whatever, then actually when I Mm. go into those phases, I can sometimes work with them in a a different way. Um, Mm. I feel like there's an element of society saying, this is like the normalized brainwave, right? So here's all the medicine to make that normalized brainwave. How can we, how can there be like a standard when there's 8 billion people in the world? Like how can there be a standard? There's 8 billion unique potentials. So how could there ever even be like a chemical balance that's completely right for everybody to kind of have? It's just like- there's a phrase that's doing my head in right now and it's being mm. used uh, i think it's being used well meanedly is that a word but <laughs> neuro <it> neuro <laughs> neurodivergent or neurodiverse um, oh yeah, yeah, well, yeah not neurodivergent neurodiverse rather neurodiverse which to me doesn't make much sense because by the very nature of everyone living different experiences eating different foods being in their respective environments having their respective communities around them uh, they will have developed neural pathways in a way that is individualistic to them, which by very nature makes people neurodiverse, does it not? Exactly. Um, which it, it, it's, <laughs> it's, very, it's, very, it's very bizarre to me that we're not accepting neurodiversity first. Um, we're not taking that approach. So it's not a neurodiverse first approach. It's uh, mm-hmm. a normal person and then a neurodiverse person. Right. Uh, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't make sense to me. It doesn't make sense with the, what I understand the world to be, how I understand neuroscience to work, how I understand the brain mm-hmm. to work. It, it, it's nonsensical. Sure, surely we need neurodiversity for evolution, progression, survival. Like for yeah. me, neurodiversity must have been a thing that, evolved in order for us to continue to survive maybe at a time when it was harder to survive (laughs) do you know what I mean it's like you're right but I tell you what as well pretty much every single person I talk to now is like oh yeah I'm neurodiverse I understand that phrase makes it it makes sense for fucking everybody like yeah the amount of people I know now who are now saying that like yeah that's 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 like that explains it like you know um it's interesting I feel like almost everyone that I talk to in my age group at the moment is saying, I maybe am a little bit on the spectrum. I have mm. ADHD. I have anxiety. <laughs> I have depression. I'm like, yeah, boy, list those superpowers and let's see how to work with them in a different way. Um, yeah. What do you think? I think the big thing is... Rory, because I know... Um, yeah. yeah, I think, I think it's about... Um, this perception we have of fighting something as well so like i'm i'm fighting my mental illness i'm fighting my neurodivergencies like 
it's not a healthy way to look at it because you're fighting parts of yourself. Mm. And in a fight, you tend to get hurt. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. That's a very good point. It's very true. I, one Within of the spiritual the... community, actually, I was thinking about this so much earlier. No, you go, sorry. <laughs> no, you go, you go, you, you go. go. Oh, okay, fine. What was I going to say? Jeez. Uh, Within the spiritual I was thinking community. About... In the spiritual community, uh, no, I've forgotten. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. This idea of fighting, this idea of fighting. Oh, yeah. Okay. All right. I've got it. Thanks. So I feel like when I kind of took my deep dive into the spiritual community, all of a sudden it was like healing is the thing to do, right? We've got to heal. We've got to heal. We've got to heal. We've got to heal. Like to the extent where, you know, like 15 years after fucking starting that shit, I'm still healing. Because that's where my mindset has been. Like, and I start, I really was thinking about this. I realized it was like, I look around and everyone is just on this healing journey. It's like, when are we going to start to actually live life? Like in the craziest way, shit happens. We are diverse. We have Mm. experiences and a hundred percent, you need to be able to support yourself, but we don't always have to think of ourselves as sick or in need of of healing or a need of getting better than what we are I feel like I don't know Marie I feel like that kind of for me that's kind of a bit of what I heard when you were speaking like um yeah because I think what what it is is that we only heal because society tells us we're sick yeah whereas if we thought of like oh no it's just something I have to manage on a day-to-day basis Mm-hmm. like you do with everything else mm. yeah then they wouldn't <laughs> they wouldn't be able to sell you stuff <laughs> exactly that it's exactly a lot harder that. to sell stuff to manage something than it is to completely like overhaul and yeah fix the broken bones of your mind exactly. that kind of thing mm. it's harder to sell stuff to people who don't think they're fucking broken and need all this other shit to make them better you know exactly. that's it isn't it you're right it's like this bottom level conditioning of basically you're born it comes from christians and sorry christians <laughs> but like you're born so you are sin you're born so you're sin yeah. okay mm. now you've got to spend the next several decades working out this sin that you have literally no idea how or when you created acquired it like <laughs> acquired it so it's like so you're right this like the message of society of, of our western society the culture that we live in right now is that you are wrong you are bad, you are sick, you are fucked up, you are a sinner. Mm. Mm. Whereas, especially with bipolar type 1, which is, mm-hmm. um, which has psychotic symptoms, which is mm-hmm. what I have. Um, yeah. You know, th- it, all it means is that I have um, a brain that works in a slightly different way. In times pre-colonialism, you know, would it have been viewed as an anomaly or something to be punished? Or would it be viewed as something to be cherished? Exactly. Probably be the town shaman, I reckon. No, that's what I was going to say. Medicine man right here. Like, have you read about this, Rory, in, in other cultures? Because there is a shaman uh, who passed away, actually, I think in the last couple of years, Maladoma Som. 
who has spoken a lot about mental illness in in this regard. Um, mm. And he said, so he is, I will send you his book actually, Rory, you'd, you'd love it. Um, he says that, so I remember reading an article basically, he he, he grew up in, I think, um, uh, maybe D- Benin. Dagara. Oh, Dag- yes, there you go. Um, and he had, he uh, had the un- unique experience of, basically being initiated in his village as a medicine man, as a shaman, but also going to university and becoming a doctor in Western medicine. So, Mm. and his whole thing is that he was bridging the gap. Um, So he tells a story about going to uh, New York and going to a psychiatric hospital. And there was a young boy there, I think a teenage boy, and he had schizophrenia. And this this shaman, uh, Dr. Shaman, <laughs> says mm-hmm. that basically um, the worst place for somebody who has mental health issues is an uh, institution. He said, you do not put all these people together in the same space. Mm. Um, it's terrible for your energy uh, and really hinders any kind of potential healing in that way. Um but also that when he walked into that hospital, he just saw shamans, psychics, mediums, because actually in his culture, if somebody had grown up and started seeing and talking to things that weren't there, then they would say that they would feel like they were speaking to spirit and that they actually had a gift that needed to be honed and supported in a very specific way because they are that open. Now, I don't, I have my feelings about this. I don't, want to say that's what I believe it is every single time I think that's quite a dangerous thing to say because our society doesn't support it but Mm -hmm. like you're saying like imagine if you grew up in a society that didn't look at things that were happening with you as wrong you're right and they looked at it and gone okay well how are we going to actually support this thing this person with in the way that they are exactly and maybe it's because in our society we've ripped out the unknown we've ripped it out like we don't have space for it in that way. Like it has to be proven by science in a very specific way. Um, there's no understanding really about the potential of what happens after life. And I feel like mm. mental health issues cannot really be fully understood if you if you think that this is it. If this is it, cut and dry. We live in a capitalist, capitalist society. There's nothing in any way that is beyond us. I'm not, talk, not talking about God. I'm just even talking about like an understanding of like the air that you breathe. Mm. Um, yeah, anyway, I'm literally going off on some next tangent. It's not my interview, is it? And by the way, here's a pill. Here's <laughs> <laughs> a pill and here's a fucking pill. Mm. Um, do you feel like as obviously as a young man, as a mixed race or a black man, uh when when it comes to your mental health journey like how has that been and the word wrong word probably say supported but like how have you found that have you um because you talk a lot about loneliness and I totally understand that for you and for uh us but there's also a space where I feel like well we spoke about this again like for women now we create these spaces actually quite a lot where we have circles, we have these gatherings and we have these spaces where we come to like be and witness each other. And for me, that's been one of the most useful thing, kind of with a group of peers, just being able to witness in non-judgment. And I wonder because not many of the men that I know have any kind of support like that. 
Um, so I just wonder, like, from your point of view, what would be helpful and what would be useful as a young man right now with going through this? Um, well, this question reminds me of a play I saw quite recently, um, oh, which yeah. was called For Black Boys Who Have Considered Suicide When the Hue Gets Too Heavy um, by a wonderful company called Nouveau Riche. Um, and essentially the conceit of it is that it's sort of like a group therapy session between six young black men. And I think, but I think to really tackle or form that sort of sphere of open communication, you have to address what the problem is. So, and I think that's mm -hmm. tied into our very rooted images, especially in the black community of masculinity and what it means to be a man. Um, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, I th because men don't talk about their feelings is the stereotype, right? Mm. Um, yeah. And you do your week. Yeah. Exactly. But honestly, there was such joy in watching this play and seeing these young black men talk about experiences openly and acknowledging the fact that, you know, like their experiences are different without judgment and with joy. Um It, it was it was a really wonderful piece and really inspirational for me. Not inspirational in that hashtag inspirational, but in terms of like actual like this could Genuinely change. Uplifting. Yeah, this could actually yeah. change li things. Life changing work. Wow. Yeah. Is it still on that play? No, sadly, but you can oh buy God, it. Babe, take me to see it. <laughs> oh, oh, it'll it'll come back. Oh, it's oh. Gotta come back. All right. Well, send me a link. <laughs> maybe we maybe yeah. maybe we should link the the link to buy that play in the show notes. I think that'd be really great because I don't know. <laughs> I just I, I need to read it and I, I feel like there's such a thing here and there's a part of me that feels massively unqualified to talk about it to be honest because I'm I because of how I identify um mm. but there's definitely it feels like there is yeah there's massive spaces missing that could be filled uh with some honest witnessing I think um yeah okay well we've been chatting for ages man but like tell us Sorry. about your play night no it's good it's good tell us about your night that's coming up so you mentioned that you have a short play night yes coming up yes um in october okay we have a short play night called let's try this again um coming to <laughs> canada water theater on the 29th of october um okay. amazing yeah and it features is it called about Let's try six this again? plays. Oh, it's called uh, Let's Try This Again because 
No, 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 no. We did an open call. It's called Let's Try This Again because we tried before and then lockdown happened. happened. Oh, yeah. So, <laughs> so let's try this name. again and hopefully it will work. Yeah. Um, but no. <laughs> fingers crossed. It, fingers crossed. It features six short plays uh, from a exciting range of upcoming artists um and it should be great fun so please keep an eye on our socials okay. for that this we'll is part where i plug my socials that's your uh, space to tell us what your socials are yeah plug plug yourself yeah, yeah. Plug, um, where can we find away. you yeah. how how do we contact you great um well, my personal socials are on Twitter and Instagram as at a Rory Francis. And uh, Bear Dance's socials are at Bear Dance Theatre on Instagram and Facebook and at Bear Dance TC on Twitter. And we also have a website, www.beardance.co.uk. Awesome. So guys i'm gonna put links to all of that stuff in the show night notes show notes show notes notes um and <laughs> and please yeah reach out reach out to us reach out to rory um definitely gonna come down to canada water and see the plays that i think i'm very excited about that there's a lot happening in october it seems to be the month of mm. stuff um yeah and yeah thank you so much for coming on talking to us today Rory really really yeah, and sharing your honest experience about mental health and from a male perspective I think mm -hmm. this is gonna help so many different people who are gonna have their experience expanded from you sharing so thank you great thank you so um I guess that's us for today guys thank you so much for tuning in and listening I'm thank you for Nicola. being here and I'm Jay Percy and um, thank you for listening to the Afro Animus podcast we will see you next week thank you thank you thank you beautiful being of the multiverse for joining us on the Afro Animus podcast if you want to get stuck into the conversation or have a question about anything we speak about here, join our mailing list and find us on our socials. On TikTok and Instagram, find us at the Afro Animist Podcast. On Twitter, you can find us at Afro Animist. If you're listening to us on Spotify or Apple Music, you can also find this talk on YouTube. Just search for us and we will pop up as if by magic. If you're loving what we're talking about here, share, like and subscribe. And remember to leave us a thumbs up or five star rating on your favourite platform.